Turn with me um, to the book of James, chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. I want to invite Irene Hoyer up to read for us out of God's Word this morning. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word as we read out of James, chapter 3. Irene? Good morning, church. James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that we obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening of both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Pray with me. Father, in a, 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 a text of scripture that talks about the tongue, I, I'm I'm deeply aware that I have to to share this with my tongue and the potential dangers that come with that. Even as this text recognizes that those of us who stand and have opportunities to teach, there's there's greater judgment upon us in regards to whether we're faithful and whether we're true to the word that you've given to us. And so, Father, certainly want to declare my dependence upon you this morning. Uh, But Father, we also want to pray that as we hear your word, as we look at your word, that our hearts are open to whatever it is that you would have for us, that we would be able to examine our own hearts, that by your spirit we would see areas in which um, we need to grow, areas which we need to mature, areas we may need to confess and, and even repent in our own lives when it comes to our tongues. And, and this text, it feels so weighty because James even acknowledges, like, who, who can do this? Who, who can, who's able to do this? And we know, at least I think most of us know, that, that, that that's a real challenge. And yet you've called us to obedience. You've called us to walk faithfully. You've, you've told us that, that these things ought not to be, that we should use our tongues for your glory and for your kingdom. And so, Lord, just pray this morning that you would go before us, that you would work in this time, uh, Lord, that you would grow us um, more into the conformity of, of your son's likeness, Lord. And so just pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. So uh, I, I know if you've been around again, you, you know I, I love history. And if you're familiar at all with World War II, you know that 
uh, as Nazi Germany kind of began to move and continued to move across Europe, there came this point where uh, it, it was kind of a point of no return where they had taken most of Europe and the only thing that was really left for them to push beyond was, was the country of Britain, the, the empire of Britain and England. And, and they were kind of the last the last stand against the movement of Nazi Germany. And you know that in Britain in those times, there was a lot of question about what should we do and how should we engage Hitler? Should we appease him? Should we not? And so within their government, there was even this challenge. And if you know, that led to the rise of a great leader, um, Winston Churchill, who was one who helped galvanize the resolve of the British people um, particularly in a speech that he gave to Parliament. And I want to start our time, and I'll tell you why here in just a moment, but I want to start our time uh, by sharing a quick video of just a reenactment, uh, a reenactment of a part of Winston Churchill's speech out of the movie The Darkest Hour. Would you pay attention here to the screens? I love this clip, and I put it up here at the front of our time together this morning because I, I think it's really easy for us to forget the power of what comes out of our mouth. And in that speech, you have this, this visual image of this man, and if you know much about Winston Churchill, who physically was kind of frail and weak and uh, didn't even have, in many ways, a good voice, and yet he, he gives these rousing speeches that literally change the resolve of the people of, uh, of Britain to, to fight and, and to resist Nazi Germany. And it, this, is, this is an amazing thing, and we recognize in this that our words can have the power to shift nations. Our words can, can have the power to uh, steal people's resolve and encourage people and discourage people. And, and it's way more than just what you might be able to say in a, in a speech in front of all the country or all the world. That same power affects your home, it affects your workplace, it affects your church, it affects the people you're closest to. And we're reminded in the book of James the power of the tongue, the importance for us as believers to be mindful of the power of the tongue, to understand its power, and, and to seek as best we can to tame that tongue and to guard the things that come out of our mouths. Now, here's the challenge that comes to us. When we think about this and we think about the tongue and we now come to this moment where we look at the book of James, here's the thing that I recognize and James makes this clear, I don't believe there's anybody in this room that can read the book of James and what he says about the tongue and say, oh, I've got that. I, I got that figured out. And yet I think there's a real temptation for us in a moment like this where we look at the word of God to not allow God's word to convict us. To not allow God's spirit to convict us of specific things and specific areas in which we might be failing to guard our tongue, to tame our tongue as his people. And it'd be easy for us to start thinking about the other people in our lives, about how our spouses don't use their tongue well, or how our coworkers don't use their tongue well, or our friends don't use their tongue well, or our kids, or whatever it is. Or we can begin to easily start to justify, well, I, I get this, but here 
here's why it's okay for me. Because here's what I know about myself. When it comes to my mouth, it is really easy for me to justify in my heart why I say the things I say. I had all kinds of reasons to make it right in my own heart as to why that's the case. And James is telling us, like, no, like, like our mouths, our tongues, they are a restless evil, restless evil. And he leads us down this imagery path of three different images of the power of the tongue. And we're going to talk about those things this morning. The first image he gives us is that of a bit in the, horse, the horse's mouth. And what James is helping us recognize is that the tongue in our mouths has the power to actually direct our paths. Meaning this, our speech habits, they're key markers to our godliness. And as believers, if we can't control our tongue, we won't be able to lead godly lives either. Our tongue has the ability to guide our destiny in our lives. Now, yeah, we know God is sovereign, and God is the one that directs those things, but our tongue has the ability to kind of steer our lives in one direction or another, steer the lives of the people around us in one direction or another. Look what Proverbs chapter 13 says about our tongue. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You see what he's saying? It's like, listen, if you guard your mouth, that can lead to life. That can lead to life in all kinds of areas, in your relationships, in all kinds of... But if you are one who can't keep your lips controlled, it's going to lead you to ruin. Like, it's going to lead you to ruin. Proverbs also tells us this. Proverbs chapter 12, it says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And the point of these Proverbs is to help us see that when we speak, it actually can move and, and, and direct our lives. Winston Churchill's speech is just an example of how a life or even a country's destiny can be directed simply by the words in our mouths. We can see this in a lot of areas of our lives, can't we? Like if we really pause, how many times have you been in a place where depending upon what you say, it's going to fork your life in one way or another way? Like just a simple thing, right? Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? A yes turns my life this way. A no takes an entirely different way, right? Like that's just one really simple example of how easy this is. I mean, think about how many jobs you've gained or lost because of something that came out of your mouth. Think about how many relationships were begun or were ended because of what have came out of your mouth. Think about where you are in your life right now and how your mouth has kind of directed how you've ended up into this place. Here's why this is important for us. Because it's easy for us to just assume that oftentimes we end up in the places we do and it doesn't have anything to do with the things we say. But oftentimes it does. I mean, there's people who have friends gathered all around them because of the way they speak. There's also people who have find themselves on an island all alone because of the way they speak, because of the things they say. 
And James is letting us know, like, listen, when we speak, it's not just a word that comes out and affects that moment. Like, it can set your entire life on a trajectory that is not good, your entire life on a trajectory that is good, your entire life on a trajectory that's, that's bad or positive, depending on what you say. And here's the challenge with that. Sometimes, once it's out of our mouth, you can't take it back. Like, like you may say, oh, snap, that's not where I wanted this to go, but it's too late. Like once it comes out, you, you can't pull it back. You can try to go fix the damage, but ultimately you can't bring it back. And so James reminds us, listen, like your entire life can be directed by the things you say. So don't take this lightly. Man, it's hard for us though at times to be willing to acknowledge. It takes tremendous humility to say, I am where I am because of my mouth. I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing because of my mouth, because I was not slow to speak and quick to listen. James then moves on to another analogy, and he talks about uh, uh, how uh, the tongue is like a small rudder on a ship, right? And so the ship is guided and directed. It's steered by this small rudder. So the power of the tongue can steer us. This is what he says in James chapter 3, verse 5 that we read this morning, so also the tongue, it's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What is it boasting of? It's boasting of, look what I just steered. Look what I just did. Look where I just took us. Like, do you consider how your mouth can steer things around you? Again, Proverbs has so much to say about the tongue, but it reminds us that there's always this fork in Proverbs chapter 18, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can steer moments, people, events towards death. You can steer moments, people, and events towards life with your tongue, with the words that come out of your mouth. Now, I want to talk about some specific things, and I'm going to come back to some of them later on in our time, but I'm going to start with some ways that our mouths can tend to steer us towards death. Now, here's the thing. My goal in this time is not for you to jot every single one of these down. I can't, I can't give an exhaustive list of all the ways that our tongue can steer towards death. The intent of this list is to help us to be mindful and to examine our own hearts and think like, okay, am I guilty in my life of steering towards death in times, towards death type things in my life with my mouth. And so I really want you as we walk through these to look at yourself, to look at uh, your own heart, your own life, your experiences and ask the question like, am I guilty of these things? Because we recognize one of the things that we can, our, our tongues can steer is the perception of other people. Just think about that. So what, what do you mean? Like the, how can I change the perception of another person? Well, it happens a lot of times like this. All right, you're, you're at work and somebody new joins your office. And so you take them out to lunch and you're sitting there with lunch and you say, listen, let me tell you about Joe. I just want you to know as you join our staff, you need to be a little bit worried about Joe. If your, your name here is Joe, I'm not talking about you. Um, just the first name that popped in my head, right? So, so listen, let me tell you a little bit about Joe. 
And in that one conversation, you take somebody who doesn't know Joe at all, he has no negative perception of Joe at all, and the first thing is you put into their minds this perception of some wrong that they do, some evil that they are participant in, something they need to watch out for. Like you change, you steer someone's perception. You can steer someone's perceptions with like false accusations. Most of the times this happens in the whisper. Did you see what they did? Did you, did you hear what they said? Hey, if you hang around long enough, you're gonna see them do this. And, and you may not be trying to make people view that person negatively, but everything you say is gonna change a perception. It can change a perception about a group, a school, a church, a leadership, an eldership, an individual. Like our tongues can change the perceptions of others. This happens at the earliest of our ages, from elementary school all the way up into our adulthood. Our mouths, our tongues can steer the perceptions of others. It can also steer a heart. Let me ask a question. Are you a discouraging person? How quickly we can use our tongues to discourage the heart of another. And I recognize as a parent, like this is a weighty reality. It's a weighty reality. But like, just think about in our kids' lives. And again, these are just examples. It plays itself out in so many different ways. But if you've got a child and your kid practices really, really hard and they do everything they can to get good and they, they play in the game and they play in that game and then the first thing you say when you see them is, man, if you would have done this, you should have done this. Why didn't you do this? You know, if you would hit the ball better this way or if you'd position yourself better this way. Like that, that changes a heart and the way a heart views in itself. As opposed to saying, you know what? I love watching you play today. I love just being here and seeing you and here's all the good things that you did. Like, like you can easily begin to change the perception of a person about themselves. I feel like I'm unlovable. I feel like I'm a failure based on how we use our language, we can steer a heart to be discouraged, to not see themselves the way God sees them. Like our heart, our, our words are so powerful. We can also use our words to persuade, persuade people to, to think all kinds of different things. Are we not seeing this effort right now all across our country in the news? I mean, you see people going out to try to persuade us why, why the Palestinians are the victims and what's going on in Israel or why Hamas is the victims and what's going on in Israel. Like, there's this massive effort to try to persuade people to one side or another. And we can use our tongues to do that in some really negative ways, some bad ways where, where maybe truth doesn't have anything to do with it. We're just going to try to persuade you to my side to their side. Like our youngs are used to persuade people. And again, this is one of the things about Winston Churchill's speech that's such a powerful thing. Like he persuaded a nation in many ways to fight, to not give in. And so sometimes this is good, as I'll say later, but sometimes this is bad. Do you ever persuade someone to participate in a sin because you're uncomfortable that they're not joining you? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like you can just join with me. Like, can you persuade them to be a part of it? Our heart, our tongues can also steer in boasting. 
I said, well, what do you mean? It's, it's the idea of where does our attention go? We can use our tongues to make much of ourselves, can't we? Look at me. Look at the things I did. Look at where I came from. Look at all that I've done. Look at all that, that you know, we can put all kinds of language on it and be like, well, look what God's done through me. But still, it's focusing upon ourselves. I think the reality of it is, don't most of us love to talk about ourselves? I know that's the easiest thing in the world for us to do, is to talk about ourselves. And we love to put forward this opinion about who we are and to make much of ourselves and to let make sure everybody knows who we are. And we can shift and move and be chameleons. So we go to church and we can use all kinds of church language and we can make ourselves to look good church people and good Christian people. But then when we go to work or we're sitting at the lunch table with our friends in high school or junior high, like we'll talk about all of our weekend exploits and all of the things that we watched this weekend or the music that we listened to. See, we use our words oftentimes to steer people to look at us to see us, to exalt ourselves, to see all the wonderful things that we've done. Power of the tongue to steer is also in regards to unholiness. We can steer people to unholiness. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I think this word right here is fascinating. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. This word means diseased. It means rotten. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 7 when he's talking about good trees and bad trees. And if you remember what he says, he says that there's no good tree that produces bad fruit and bad trees don't produce good fruit. That in fact, a bad tree produces corrupt fruit, diseased fruit, rotten fruit. Now, this is anything that's corrupt and rotten. It's anything that's diseased. And I, and I think what Paul says is so challenging because he says, listen, let no diseased talk come out of your mouth. Let no rotten talk come out of your mouth. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Well, but what if I'm just trying to get a laugh? Like, is that okay? What if it's just me and the buddies hanging out at night? Like, is that all right? It's not to Paul. It says, no corrupt talk out of our mouths. If the words that come out of your mouth with other people don't steer them towards holiness, you're likely going to be steering them towards unholiness. Listen, your coarse joke is steering someone else towards unholiness, let alone your own thoughts. Your dirty talk is steering someone else towards unholiness. Your bad language is steering someone else towards unholiness. It isn't just about you. It's about those you steer with the things that come out of your mouth. And listen, I, I understand it. I've made some of these arguments in the past myself that, man, listen, it's just words. Like a word is only bad based off of what, ha what, what the heart is behind it. And that's just how people talk. And it's not that big of a deal. And isn't this all subjective anyway? Like what makes something bad? What makes something corrupt? Well, here's something that I would give you as a measuring tool, a litmus test to help you discern. I know something I have tried to learn to discern as to what is coming out of my mouth. Is it good or is it not? And it comes out of Philippians 
Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you're thinking about these things, shouldn't this also apply to the things that are coming out of your mouth? So here's the question. Can that F word ever be pure? Can it ever be commendable? Could you ever make an argument and say, well, you know what, that's, that's an excellent and praiseworthy thing to come out of my mouth in this circumstance? Like, we can try to justify that stuff all the time, but if we can't base it off of this description, then how can we justify it to be okay? How can a pastor stand up on, in a stage and preach from the word of God only to go out with his friends and cuss like a sailor? And I say, well, they're just words, but, but is it commendable? Is it honorable? Is it excellent? Is it lovely? Is it praiseworthy? Listen, th these things are hard. Students, you think about you, you go to school and you're hanging out with your friends and you're sitting around the lunch table and you start to tell jokes and coarse joking. Would you consider your jokes honorable, commendable, praiseworthy? If the answer is no, it's sin. Like if the things that are coming out of our mouths as believers in Jesus Christ are not commendable and honorable and praiseworthy and excellent, they're sin, brothers and sisters. And you, that's not me you have to argue with. That's the word of God you have to argue with. And we have to address that. We have to deal with this. Even if we say, like, yeah, I, I, I struggle with these things, we need to continually go to the Lord and recognize the challenge in taming our tongue. But then James goes on further, as if this isn't difficult enough, right? James then gives us another analogy, and he talks about how our tongues are like a fire. I love this imagery, because as we already said, an incendiary word that goes out of our mouth cannot be taken back. And so many times the damage that it does is so much worse than we ever anticipated, like a fire that gets lit in a forest. And you can see it burning things away and you're like, oh man, that's not what I intended. And you try to take it back and you can't. Like our words ignite so much. And again, just some things to be mindful of. Our words can ignite animosity. Again, think of the protests that are happening right now. And they're not trying to argue anything. They're just trying to make everybody mad. Have you ever been around those circumstances where you're around someone and, and they start to talk and, and you find yourself just getting amped up, not because they're arguing something valid to you, but just because their words feel so like just full of animosity. And so now you feel animosity, like our words could ignite animosity towards people, towards groups, towards individuals. Our words ignite pain. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but man, every single one of us knows that words will create scars that last forever. That is the dumbest like, little idiom we could ever think of. We all recognize this. We all carry scars from somebody that said something that deeply wounded us. It causes 
pain. And that pain doesn't just go away overnight. Like it, it ignites a fire in a life that can stay there for decades. Like husbands and wives, when you talk to each other, your tone, your harshness, like it can ignite pain in your spouse, pain in your kids. We talk about it in our house sometimes. Like you ever use the, the dummy voice? Well, I just thought you were going to do that. Like that, that kind of stuff ignites pain. It hurts. It wounds. And we know it does. And yet we use it in our mouths. So recognize our mouths can ignite pain. It ignites division. Brothers and sisters, God hates this. If you find yourself talking with people and you find yourself talking about us versus them, you're likely guilty of division. And God hates it. He hates it in the church. He hates it in our homes. He hates it everywhere. It can ignite distrust. As we talk about how untrustworthy someone is or how much they've lied or how much they haven't done or said, it can ignite criticism, critique. And it's not saying that critique is bad, but critique should be engaged with love and relationship and care. These things... These are devastating things. And when they get loose into a society, like they wreak all kinds of havoc. Just think about social media. And by the way, if you think that the words we're talking about is only the things you say, it's not. It's the things you type. It's the things you text. It's the stuff you put on social media. It's the things you put on posts. It's the little, little, little snippy comments that we make that generates a, a culture of what feels like just just enmity everywhere. Am I the only one that feels that? Or does that feel like where we live? It's like people just like hate each other. We're just going to be after each other all the time. It's because the tongue ignites so much of this stuff. And we're so careless with it. And we never think about the fact that there's people on the other end of the things we're saying. And the damage that it can cause to them. And James and the Lord is telling us, like, listen, like, this, this ought not to be the case for us, brothers and sisters. Do you, do you agree with that? This ought not to be the case for those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. This should not be the case for the church. So here's the question now that we, we wrap our time up with. How then can we guard our tongues? How can we make sure that our mouths are mouths of blessing, not mouths of curse? Well, the first thing we have to do is work on the heart. That's where it has to start. James tells us that no, not a single one of us can tame the tongue. Why? Because none of us can fix our hearts. Only Jesus can do that. And Matthew 12, chapter 12 tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of what's inside of me, out of the overflow of what's inside of me, things are going to come out of my mouth. Sooner or later, it's going to come out of my mouth. I can maybe control it for a little while, but, but if I have darkness in here, it's going to come out through my mouth. And so if you find yourself constantly in the midst of conflict and you find yourself constantly hurting other people with your words and you find yourself constantly being harsh or impatient or being flippant with your words or being coarse or being dirty with your words or whatever that is, like it's a good opportunity for you to look inside of here. Because even if you were able to stop saying stuff for a season or around certain people, 
it doesn't change what's here. And Jesus wants to deal with what's in here. And so if we find our mouths always getting us into these moments in our lives, we need to run to Jesus. We need to confess to Jesus, Lord, my heart is sick. And out of its abundance, this is why this keeps coming out of me, I need you to address this issue. I need you to take care of these things in my life. By your spirit, you can change my heart, and therefore, by your spirit, you can change my tongue. You can change us by your spirit, and so it has to start here. And brothers and sisters, let me just tell you this. You can never change someone else by staying unchanged yourself. So let me just talk to spouses. If you're in a relationship right now where you as husband and wife are constantly doing this to each other with your mouth, and you say, well, I'm not gonna be the one that, that deals with my heart because then this, my spouse will just push me around and do these things. Listen, you're never gonna find reconciliation until one of you humbles yourself before the Lord and says, I can't do this, change my heart. It needs to be one of you. You're never gonna change your spouse unless you change first. So don't think of them in the midst of all these things. Look at yourself in the midst of these things. Mouths of blessing are also uplifting. Scripture's clear about this. Even when we disagree with someone, even when someone has hurt us, we're not supposed to strike back with our words. We are to uplift them. We are to build them up. We are to be kind and to be gentle. We're to give people the benefit of the doubt, hoping that they didn't mean to wound us. We're to be people of blessing with our lips, encouragement with our lips. This is, this is hard, especially if it's somebody that we don't agree with very much. Next, if we want to have mouths of blessing, we need to speak with clear clarity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Don't be passive aggressive. Don't Go to a place and be mad at somebody because they, they didn't do the dishes when you didn't ask them to do the dishes. Like, like, say what you say. Be clear. Be truthful. Make sure that you're not beating around the bush. Even if it's a difficult thing, just, just say what needs to be said so you can get to the bottom of it. Next, mouths of blessing, speak, speak in gentleness and love. Don't let truth be an excuse to be harsh. Don't let truth be an excuse for you to cut. Bluntness without gentleness is not a badge of honor. Do you hear what I'm saying? Bluntness without, without gentleness and love is not a badge of honor. You need to be able to say truth and speak truth with kindness and gentleness and tenderness out of love for the person you're speaking it to. We are called to both truth and to gentleness. And to love. Mouths of blessing, they also speak or seek to discover and discern, not defend. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. When you get into a conflict with someone or you're using your mouth to engage, you should be first and foremost using your words to try to draw out of a person what they're thinking and what they're feeling. We all know the tendency for us when we get into a challenge with somebody else, like our first tendency is to want to defend ourselves. What we should be doing as Christians is going like, help me understand what you mean. Why did you say this? Why do you feel this way? And try to be slow to speak and quick to listen so we can discern what someone's thinking about. 
Instead of just jumping to defend, I love Jesus. Jesus was best at this. He never defended himself. Like he spoke truth and he didn't defend it. Now you either believed him or you didn't, but he oftentimes used questions to ask people. Think about the woman at the well and how he asked her questions to draw things out of her and to lead her to truth. This is what we should be like. We should also be people who redirect with our mouths. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. If you were to come up to me and start talking negatively about somebody, let's say Todd Brumley, he's not here today, so I'll just use him as an example. If you were to come up to me and be like, Darren, I'm so mad at Todd. Todd said this, and man, it's such a jerky thing for him to say. And uh, man, like he, he just got super frustrated and irritated and, and he did this and said this and da, da, da. I'm, my first thing is gonna be like, hey, you know what, let's stop. Can, can we just, stop? let's go talk to Todd right now. Do you know how many things that will shut down in an instant? Oh, no, no, I'm okay. Like, we don't need to go talk to Todd now. No, no, seriously, like, you have a problem with Todd. Like, let's go talk to Todd. I'll go with you so you don't feel like you're out of, like, like I'll be more than happy to walk you to talk to Todd. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, then my next thing should be like, oh, hold on, stop, time out. So you feel like Todd hurt you. Okay, have you told Todd that he hurt you? Well, no, I haven't told Todd because he won't listen. Well, hold on. Like, do you know he won't listen? Have you given him the opportunity to listen? Like, let's go talk to Todd. No, I don't want to talk to Todd. Like, most of these things can be shut down in an instant if we're just willing to redirect people to actually deal with the problem instead of let us just incite and just build onto the problem. Oh, yeah, I remember this one time Todd said something to me. This is what happens when you go out of town, by the way, if you're on staff here. I just talk about you in the sermon. <laughs> so, Todd, if you're listening, here you go. But no, this is the thing, like, redirect with your mouth. Don't stir it. Redirect. Pull to, to what's good and try to bring reconciliation with these things. Next, we need to be people with mouths of blessing that intercede for our enemies. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, we're to love our enemies, we're to pray for them. This is hard, isn't it? And I don't mean like pray for them in a sense. It's like, Lord, will you smite them? That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> like maybe there's a place for that at times. But we're talking about like actually pray, Lord, would you bless them? Would you, would you give them um, your favor? Would you give them your grace? Would you give them your mercy? Like uh, that's hard. That's really hard. Like tonight when we gather to pray for what's going on for Israel, you know, we at some point have a responsibility to pray for those people in Hamas. Do we want them to go to hell or do we want them to repent and find grace in Jesus? That's hard. I've watched the news. Like my flesh does not want that. What my flesh wants, my flesh wants God to give them what they deserve. But then I think about what I deserve. And I'm glad he didn't give me what I deserve. And it's going to be really hard for us to be people who use our mouths to create division and enmity and strife and hurt and pain when you're praying for your enemies. When you're asking God for their blessing. Like, brothers and sisters, this is, this, is, this is what we've been called to do. And if you go back to 
And the things that we said before, and we talked about how, remember that, that there's death and there's life, that we can steer towards death or we can steer towards life. All of the things I've mis- mentioned have a counter, right? You can steer someone's perception in a negative way, but you could also steer someone's perception in a positive way. You can, you can steer hearts in a discouraging way, but you can steer hearts in a positive way. You can persuade people towards your hatred of this political party, or you could steer people and persuade people towards the gospel in Jesus Christ. You can, you can use your tongue to steer people towards looking at you, or you can use your tongue to steer people to looking to Jesus. You can use your mouth to steer people towards unholiness, or you can use your mouth to steer people towards holiness. There's an opposite side to every one of these. You can ignite animosity with your mouth, or you can ignite love with your mouth. Like You can ignite all of these things with your mouth, or you can, in a negative sense, or you can ignite it with a positive sense. Like, church, this is what we've been called to do, and this is what we've been called to be. So in closing, as we wrap up our time, in preaching this sermon and in preparing this sermon, like I realized, like, I don't think there's any single person in this room that could say, oh, I've never been guilty of any of this. I, I genuinely don't believe that if we're open to the Spirit working in our hearts, that we, we can at some point recognize ourselves in some of these things, these admonitions that Scripture has called us to. And that's not intended to make us feel like failures, but it is an opportunity to hear the voice of the Spirit in our hearts and to confess that to Him and repent of that. Those two things have to go together. Like, it's not just confess it and then keep doing it. It's confessing it and repenting and seek to not do it again and let Him work on our hearts. And so here's what I I want to do. We're going to enter into a time of communion. But it's going to be a little bit unique today because I'm going to just, I'm going to give us some time to just, just ponder, just to think, just to, to process in your own heart before you go to the table of grace and mercy, before you go to the table reminding us of what Christ has done for us, we want to make sure that our hearts are pure before him. Do you need to confess that maybe this week you've used your mouth to steer people towards unholiness or you've used your mouth to steer towards division or you steered, used your mouth to, to ignite animosity. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's on social media. Maybe it's in your school. And I want to just encourage you to confess that before the Lord and ask him, Lord, is there something in my heart that this is an abundance of. Will you then deal with my heart? So will you close your eyes? Just bow your heads. And I just encourage you to just, just forget everybody else in the room. And Ryan's just gonna play quietly for a second, for a few moments, and just want you to reflect. Have you caused pain? Have you caused animosity? Have you caused division? Have you caused distrust 
used your mouth in ways that are not commendable and praiseworthy and excellent and honorable before the Lord. Have you used your mouth for false accusations? Shift the perception of someone else? Have you used your mouth to make much of yourself? Take those things to the Lord. Father, I would confess for myself and I think for most of us in this room and we recognize that our hearts our our mouths, they're a restless evil. They're full of deadly poison and we have used them to set so many things on fire. Yet, Lord, we also recognize that our mouths can create beautiful praise to you. They can encourage a faint-hearted brother or sister. They can press us on in the moments of difficulty. They can be used to to, to encourage someone who's struggling. It can be used to galvanize our resolve against injustices in the world. Father, for us to be able to be people that use our mouths in a godly and a good way, we need your spirit in us. We need your spirit to change our hearts, not, not just our mouths. Like that, That's just the fruit. We want you to deal with the root. So we we confess our failures in this area of our lives, knowing that there's not a single one of us here, at least according to your word, that, that isn't guilty of having an untamed tongue. And so we confess those things before you. And I pray, Father, that it wouldn't just stop this morning. I pray that it wouldn't just stop with this moment. Father, we would take it into our schools, our lunch tables, our sports programs, that we would take it into our homes, 
our relationships, our workplaces. Father, when people hear the words of your people come out of our, or, or come out of our mouth, when, when people hear our words as your people, Lord, that they would see a set-apart people, a holy people, a different people, words that are not igniting flames of animosity and unholiness, but words that are igniting flames of love and peace and grace and the gospel and praise to you. I pray, Father, that you would help create that inside of us and make that inside of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that now as we take of communion together, that we can all in joyfulness say, like, like, we, we need your grace and you give it freely. When we confess our sins, no matter how many times we sin, no matter how many times we mess up, like you're there to forgive us of our sins. And we're so grateful for your mercy and your grace. We need it so badly. Help us to extend it to others in our pursuit of being like you.